Hey everybody, welcome to our Agent Pursuit interview today. We have a special guest and it's fun that you are a guest because typically you are my fellow co-host. Yes, but dual purpose. Yeah, but today I kind of get to Barbara Walters the crap out of you because you <laughs> are, it's a term, because you get to be our guest today and what I'm so excited about is I know your story, we're married, um, so I know your story. But over the past couple of years, a lot has changed in your life professionally and you, where you came from in terms of your story and your real estate team and now your ownership position at CIR is fascinating. But timely right now is the fact that one of the biggest catapults um, that led into where you're at now came from a recession. Um, yep. And some very big changes that you made in your business and in your real estate team, and given the market that we're at today and a lot of the courses that you hold at CIR and a lot of the resources that we're doing and the mentorship um, groups that we have and the business coaching that our office managers are doing is so specific right now to working in a recession market, a market that's coming back a little bit, but there's still a lot of people struggling. And you really have some incredible history um, personally in dealing with that and overcoming it. Yeah. Um, so, Lindsay Smith on Agent Pursuit uh, is going to be talking about weathering the storm. So, let's start li brief background. Um, most people know who you are, but in general, uh, your real estate history for those people that don't know where you started. Yeah, um, I went to university um, briefly uh, at the University of Calgary. I uh, did three years there, I had one year left to finish my diploma, uh, my degree. I guess my mother still hates me for that. Uh, but I I got in the fitness industry and wanted to pursue a passion of business and health and fitness and um, worked in the fitness industry for three years. And then I actually got myself into so much consumer debt that I couldn't uh, even make my minimum payments. And that was something that was problematic. So I uh, was really good at selling stuff. And so I needed to sell bigger things. So I decided to get into real estate because I thought, ah, if I can sell houses, that's, that's good. And I actually read a book called uh, High Trust Selling by a guy named Todd Duncan. And he was selling uh, insurance policies and talking about $100 million insurance policies. And I thought, gosh, I just needed to sell bigger things. And when I got into real estate in 2000, uh, 2004, it was my first full year, and I got my teeth kicked in. Um, it was really, really rough. Uh, it took me three months to do my first transactions, a little 11 months to do my first listing. And um, I'll talk about that a bit more later. Uh, but I figured a few things out uh, at the end of my first year and um, started up a real estate team and then made some adjustments and got into uh, doing some business coaching and customer service training for clients. Came up with CIR uh, in 2008 end of 2008 and then uh, had the opportunity to uh, buy some shares uh, end of 2016 and and here I am today. So that is the that is the Reader's long Digest. and short that is the Reader's Digest of it. Yeah. Um, getting right into what I really want us to focus on today which is working in this market and building a business in a market like this. You started at a time when real estate was on the up. Yeah. It, things were kicking and people, realtors were licensed to print money at that time in 2007. It's just the stories are incredible. Yeah. So what did that feel like? And then I, we're going to talk about the fall after that. But, but what did that feel like? 
Well, I mean, things, obviously, 2005, I'll never forget um, when 2005 clipped over to 2006, uh, there was less than 1,000 listings on the market. Wow. And if you compare that to like 9,000 today, and if you were to talk about absorption rates, it should have been an indication that you should just buy every single home available in the city of Calgary, because it didn't matter whether it was in um, the lowest end community to the highest end community, every house made money. And I had friends who had bought houses, uh, including myself, uh, but wrote books on their investing success. Because they started buying houses in 2005, they were doing um, um, option, lease options and things like that where they were the ones that were capitalizing on low lease options. And they, they wrote investing books in 2007 and um, all of a sudden, uh, I know two of them personally that went bankrupt uh, going in 2008 and 2009, into 2009 because the market turned and they were so highly leveraged. Uh, it was insane, but it, just, it, it was a license to print money. It really was. We were, we were order takers. Um, I'll never forget where you would show up to a listing and you had um, you know, 17 offers in the listing. And one of our realtors in our office at the time had a stack of offers this high um, of offers that were in competition but didn't get accepted. Wow. And, and that 2005 was the start of that. I'll never forget waking up in the morning. And you started uh, in 2004. Four, yeah. So, and things got, so things got good pretty quick. That was kind yeah, of your and, first taste of real estate. Yeah, and the market, um, I did, I did $40,000 in commissions in my first year. And then um, the second year I did uh, 210. So, I mean, the market went up. It didn't, you know, it didn't quintuple like, like that. So I was able to beat the market from that. And that was very clearly a decision to focus on giving to my clients rather than just trying to get business yeah. like I was taught, um, always be closing. That was something that resonated but um, at the time. And then it didn't work, though, for me. Um, I had to just focus on adding value. But um, it was you just everyone wanted to buy real estate. Everyone wanted to become an investor. And, and that was, made it really simple to grow into. You obviously built a real, you mentioned you built a real estate team. Yep. And obviously you built a team in that market condition. Yeah. So what did building a team in that market condition look like from a marketing perspective, an expenditure perspective, a mentality perspective? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny that I had gotten into so much consumer debt that I couldn't make my minimum payments. And that got paid off within about a year and a half um, of starting in real estate because, uh, I guess two years, because I had bought a house uh, for $4,000 cash to mortgage, uh, no questions asked. Um, it had a giant hole in the foundation and I was able to patch it because I dug it out myself for um, $1,500. I patched up this hole in the foundation. No one wanted the house. And so I turned that over, paid off all my consumer debt and I lived in an unfinished basement, had underlay instead of carpet because it was too cheap and had black poly as my walls in the basement. And I rented my upstairs uh, house to uh, university students, my rooms individually to university students. Um, but anyways, the, um, to build the team, I, I soon realized, actually it was a movie called What the Bleep Do We Know? And I, I realized that I wanted to build something really big. Um, I, I said I want to do you know, 10, deals a, 10 deals a month. I just want to do a deal a month. And I thought, I want to do 10 deals a month. I want to do 100 deals a month. And I'm like, God, you know, I want to do, I'm not thinking big enough. I need to do like 100 deals a day. And, and, well, and, and, and the situation around you is looking at stacks of 20 offers on a listing, right? Like that's what's in front of you yeah. while you're thinking this. Yeah, well, not yet. And that was at the end of 2004. And I thought right away that I need someone 
um, I, I can't do it alone. So I, I decided to build a team. That was the end of 2005. We didn't realize it was going to, sorry, end of 2004. We didn't realize it was going to take off. So I brought my first assistant on um, at the start of 2005. I couldn't afford her. Um, but then as the market started turning, we could feel the energy picking up. And then I started saying, okay. Um, I was really good at holding in seminars and talking to people, sort of like lead gen, and never got a single online lead. Uh, in that, I didn't do that until I built my customer service training business. But um, then I started feeling the energy and, and invited my business partner uh, to come on with me. And then uh, we had agents who were starting off new in the business. We brought them in, um, taught them how to do it from a really clear customer service standpoint, handed them a system, took their databases in, and by piling everyone's databases in, we were able to uh, do touch-based campaigns to them that, that generated the leads and um, went from there and did a lot of strategic alliances in terms of connecting with mortgage professionals and financial professionals and getting everybody's databases to pour in. I, was, I still believe it today, but mass collaboration is one of the most powerful business concepts. It's how the stock market works, it's how everything works, but collaborating with my, um, my home inspectors, my uh, financial professionals around me, um, everybody that knew my professional network to get people to invite to join up with seminars and promote their databases just created a huge amount of people. I mean, within a two-year period, we were marketing to over 800 people in our database. And, um, two years, yeah, that's and what your database was like. That's right, yeah, wow. just combining people together. And, you're, and, and just because to kind, of, to kind of prepare for what came next, so at one, po at what, at one point, you were renting out the top floor of a house for your office. You had equipment and you had yeah. the front page of yellow page ever. I mean, this got, this got big fast. Yeah, yeah, I can speak to that really quickly. I um, had this idea that I could be doing business. We were gonna create teams of eight in each quadrant of the city. And then I wanted to be able to do business in Calgary or London, and not London, Ontario, but London, England. And I just thought the sun would never set on the Calgary real estate market. And it's funny. Funny when we look back on it now, but um, I just thought it's going to go up forever. So I bought a house, um, the whole house, strictly for the office. The basement was storage. Um, we put office space up top, and we ha had flexibility to convert the basement into more office space. And um, so we just we, we did that. Um, I had voice over IP phone systems that would allow us to operate from anywhere we wanted to be. Um, this was all in 2006 and 2007. Um, I had, yeah, like you said, I, I took out $50,000 Yellow Pages ad. Um, I had, um, that didn't work by the way. Um, so, so, and I bought a, a truck and a trailer to help clients move with. Um, I had uh, $1,000 a month uh, photocopier in my living room, um, which was turned out to my living room later on um, as we had to pivot. But um, that, was, that was it. We did all of our own print marketing. We were doing a ton of stuff, printing out for invites for open houses and my expenses, uh, my personal expenses and, and some of the business stuff was $35,000 a month. And we weren't doing any external advertising beyond um, the Yellow Pages. We weren't, um, you know, we didn't have uh, billboards like Lenti Wong at the time. And, you know, we didn't have you anything like that. still spending Yeah, we weren't doing online leads or anything. We were spending $35,000 a month. So then. Then. <laughs> then the sun set. So then the sun, <laughs> so then the sun set. Yeah. And, and, and we were going to, the, the purpose of all of this is kind of talk about cyclical markets and we're going to really start relating this back to um, all of the realtors watching right now and some advice you have based off of your own experience um, so we don't have to spend too much time on this but obviously the sunset and you were in a position where the life you knew as a realtor and how you were spending your money and how you were getting business basically changed in 30 days yeah 
yeah, we, I had stopped actively selling at the start of 2007. And I was just facilitating the team uh, full time. I was uh, creating lead generation activities, um, handling the marketing activities, building business systems. Um, so the end of 2007 came along and now we've had financial crisis. Um, global financial crisis um, has ensued. The market just turned on a dime. And we had to make a decision um, about whether I had to make a decision whether I was going to get back into selling real estate actively um, in order to pay for our expenses or whether we were going to trim the fat. And it's a very humbling exercise to look at everything that you've built and say, how do I save face by not looking like I've failed this? Um, how do I um, get my expenses back under control? And, um, and what do we need to do? in order to do this, because I thought it was just going to go up. And this is the point where we really had to pivot and adjust. Yeah. And uh, immediately we let go of our, our two staff members. Um, that's a tough conversation. Uh, one of them was just like, I feel like we're breaking up. Like I've seen you guys rise and do your thing. I just feel like this is like a breakup and it was quite emotional. I remember from my business partner burst into tears, left the house and um, like it was, it was a disaster. Um, I rented out the condo that I was in. Uh, he moved out of his place. Uh, he became our, our, my, my roommate. And so we moved into the office space. So literally we had two beds set up in each of the back offices uh, where we would sleep. And then the front still operated as the office. So, um, so we had to uh, go in there. We moved our administration uh, to India for like $7 an hour. Yeah. And, um, and we found a company that took off all the different uh, sides of that, um, canceled our voice over IP phone systems. And we went through our credit cards and literally you found all these different expenditures that we were expending. And I mean, I remember forget in a day I canceled $1,500 a month of just online subscriptions to stuff. Oh, I, I pay $30 a month for Skype. I pay, you know, X amount of dollars yeah. for this. Um, but we got our expenses down from $35,000 to um, about 13.5 and then eventually down to 11.5 within a 30-day period. Wow. Yeah. And the end result of all of this is you still did well. I mean, you... At the, at the, the business didn't change. It was, it was actually amazing because you realize how much fat you had on in terms of that needed to be trimmed with your business and how much overhead we do. You know, people didn't care. They didn't even care if they had, if I had a house that was an office space. People didn't care if I had a voice over IP phone system. People didn't care if I had this photocopier in my living room or if we had the administrators. They just wanted us to sell their house and help them through a real estate transaction. And that, that tweak to me was just, you know, mind-blowing in terms totally. of that. But the, when, and the great and the great thing as far as your as your team operated, and obviously it was it was a, a change of a team, but you were still able in a crash situation. And I think this is what's what's really important. And just touch on this, and then we'll kind of go into the economy today. Is people were still moving. There were still reasons to move. There were still oh, people yeah. that needed to buy homes, and it was just a different way of doing business to still bring income. And so a market crash, even you know the recession we're in today, and we'll talk about this in a minute. There are still a lot of people who are successful, despite what's going on around them. And that was just, you guys just had to adapt to that new reality, which you did. Yeah, it was basically at that time, and it was a race to capitalize on equity, which I feel like is, you know, fast forward to today, you know, July of 2018, you got yeah. 9,000 listings in Metro Calgary, um, Alberta, everywhere in Alberta is looking at, um, you know, increased inventory. Um, Alberta is like the sort of micro market that's, 
um, that's happening in, in some place in the U.S. are climbing, and um, the mortgage rules have, have hit us hard, and things like that. But um, people are still getting married, getting divorced, you know, things like that. Houses are moving. There's still a number of sales each month. Absolutely. You just got to figure out how to capitalize on your piece of the pie, and and it's an opportunity to capture market share as well. Um, but I'll never forget, I, I was listening to an audio program. This is after that fact. But um, there's a gentleman, um, Walter Sanford, um, and he was saying, you know, I make $1.3 million a year, uh, every single year, and in gross commissions. And he's like, in fast markets, I need 30 listings at any given point in time. And in slow markets, I need 130 listings. And on the books at any given point in time. And some people are like, what? Like 130? But he's like, that's what I need to do. I need 100 listings or I need 30 listings, right. depending on the market conditions. Because I know that X number of my listings are going to sell, but that's how I make my $1.3 million in commissions. So do you have to work harder in slower times? Absolutely. And everything was a grind. You got very good at having difficult conversations with sellers who had their you know, sights set really, really high. And um, you were just constantly the bearer of bad news, um, yeah. which was a big contrast because we were the bearer of such good news for such a long period of time. Well, this is just it. You know, when you said, you know, we were an order taker and you were helping. And oh. I, I know some of the stories that you said, and um, even in terms of, you know, some family members, that it was you made a lot of people a lot of money yeah. in some instances very, very quickly. And, you know, almost as quickly for other people, it was, you know, they bought this thinking that in six months they were going to have this equity. And they made a lot of life plans on that. And then very, just as quickly as that happened, you had to be the one to have those conversations where it was like you've planned your life based off of what we thought was going to happen in the next six months. And, and, yeah. and you, so critical conversations, which is something that we're going to talk about as well, that our agents need to start having with sellers. Those aren't easy, and you have to get very good at them. Well, and also I had a, just from an understanding of how real estate mortgages work, I learned some hard lessons. Um, I bought the, the house that I bought that we turned into an office was July... Uh, 2017 and look at the charts because that is the peak of the peak of the peak um, the worst time to, did I say 2007 2007 sorry um, that was the peak of the peak and I had bought that and um, I paid like I don't know like 410 for it I mean it was on the corner of McKnight and Center A Street right behind the petrol can some people would see it today I thought I was gonna rezone it to commercial um, I, I got a couple of investors to go in on it with me so that I could renovate the house and things like that. Yeah. And the house shook when, when vehicles went by, so I overpaid for it dramatically. And then in 2010, our mortgage came up for renewal. And what's funny about that is that with mortgages, people think, oh, I got a mortgage for 25 years or 30 years. And, and back then, you get a mortgage for 40 years. Um, but no. Um, you actually only have a mortgage for the term of the mortgage. So when the three-year period came up that my mortgage term was for, the bank said, great, you owe us the money. You owe us. And I put 15% down. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like, I just thought I'd sign somewhere. And they give me the money. And they said, no, no, you owe us the balance. Well, aren't you just going to renew? And they're like, no, no, we don't offer that product anymore. And what it was is a special self-employed product that wasn't CMAC insured. They self-insured at the time. And um, it was with a very big mortgage company that's out there today that a lot of mortgage brokers use. And um, they pulled it out from underneath me. So they wanted the money. They wanted the money. And, wow. and that was it. And then um, the, the house that was, I bought for 410 was now worth um, 350 And I owed 365 on it or 360 So 
they basically looked at me and said, um, and so nobody else would give me a mortgage because it's upside down. So what do you do? And they're putting me on foreclosure. I'm like, I made my payments. And they're like, yeah, but we don't offer that product anymore. Since you're self-employed, you're high risk. They said, you can just requalify, which I couldn't at the time because I, I didn't claim that much income being self-employed. And anyways, um, I had to put down another 20% um, to make it work. And so, I mean, they were literally going to foreclose on me and I made every single payment. So don't think that, you know, your clients, your mortgages are for five years, three years, whatever the term is. And in good markets, they'll do it. But there's nothing saying that that company needs to renew with you. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, we're, so some, some parallels to today. Yeah. Um, and some, you know, in, let's, let's not speak specifically to mortgages, but the climate that we're in right now seems to have a lot of conversations based off of mortgages. Yeah. And, you know, our sales down because our first-time home buyers not getting in. What does that look like in terms of agents having conversations with clients? And, and, and some advice that you would have knowing what you went through yeah. um, and setting people up for success long-term in a market where, you know, last week interest rates went up. There's trade wars happening that could you know, re-affect how interest rates go. Products are changing all of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, well, the first thing you have to understand is as you become a business owner, you realize that very quickly your margins are going to get thinner. And what I mean by that is um, you have, uh, you know, let's say that 50% of your listings are selling, whereas before 80% of your listings would sell or 90% of your listings would sell. And let's say it costs you $750 to market each listing. So now you look and you say, okay, so for every, um, you know, six listings I have or, or um, four listings I have, I'm trying to do the math here, but um, basically it'd be like, you know, it's going to cost me, so for four listings it could cost me $3,000 to sell them all. Um, well, what if only two of those sell? Well, now it's $3,000 to sell there, whereas before all of them but one would sell. So um, my margins are thinner because it costs more money to sell more listings and I don't get all of them sold. So that is um, something you need to adapt to and you need to start making business decisions about which listings you take on. Um, right. Now, or you say, hey, I got to make sure my expenses are manageable enough that I can live within my margins. Um, same thing with buyers. It's like, well, not every buyer is going to be qualified. Or I have to show buyers a lot more houses because they're kind of on the fence or people aren't there. So I got to make a lot more contacts, which means I'm spending more time, which then thins up my margins again because I have to um, work with buyers longer than I did before. And once you know your numbers, you can just look back and say, here's the new reality. Am I still profitable? Right. And the thing that people run into is that they're used to a certain lifestyle. They're accustomed to a certain way of living. I mean, I was finally at a point where I didn't have to live with roommates anymore. I was young. I mean, I was I started in real estate when I was 23. And so I had roommates and different things like that. You can live in an unfinished basement when you're 23. You don't have kids. Totally. Um, but when, you know, you get a little bit older, I thought, gosh, now I can finally afford to live on my own. And I had this condo that we had bought. And, um, and so it was, you know, I was living there and I thought, this is, this is life. You know, I've got my own pad now and it was great. Um, except the lifestyle that I wanted to live wasn't conducive to my income. And this is where realtors get, I think, caught up because when they look at their business expenses, they don't factor in the fact that they are the biggest expense in their business. The car they drive, the, the house that they live in, 
um, the, the, the activities that their, their kids are involved in, you know, yeah. things like that, the, the, the cable subscriptions they have, things like that. That is the biggest expense in their business and something that's holding them back um, in, in a lot of cases. And I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy life. Obviously, we should. But you have to live within your means. And you have to make sure that um, you're not, you know, as I like to say, you're not pretending to be rich. There's too many realtors and, and people in life that just want to pretend to be rich. They're, they own these flashy cars that they can't afford, these big houses they can't afford, they're leveraged to the hilt, um, you know, and, and all these types of things. And as a result, when the market turns a little bit, and their margins get thinner in their business because it costs them money to market the listings, less listings are selling, they don't have the money to float themselves. A and good, um, this is something that you kind of taught me and in, and in our life together that's very much so based off of that experience is when I know that when we went to buy the house we live in now, our second house, it was, and even our first house that we bought it was, we had to buy a house that I could qualify for on my own. Right. Um, which, and, and, and you know, you said, we work collectively in a cyclical market. Absolutely. And whatever decisions we make, we need to be just as comfortable at the bottom of that cycle as we are at the top of that cycle. And you can absolutely enjoy the fruits when they're there and make good decisions. But if you try and live a life that's going to be based off of the sun will never shine on real estate, yeah. the sun yeah, will never set, set. Yeah. Um, that's when a lot of people are going to get into a lot of trouble. So I think recognizing totally. that um, we all work in that industry and making life decisions, knowing, you know, we, we go to the Krebs forecast every year and they put the graphs on that go back from like 1960. And it is like this. And the good news is, is you know, even right now, it's already back on yeah, that it goes, up. it goes up. I mean, sometimes it dips way down, but it, you know, it, ultimately it goes up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ultimately, ultimately it goes up. But if you're always planning your life based off the top and not the little dip that you're going to get, um, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Well, and that's where the biggest life lesson that I learned, you know, I just, the, the summary of it all is just live within your means. Like there's just, there's just nothing else to it. Yeah. Um, but the, the overall um, piece of that is you have to prepare yourself for, you know, worst case scenario. And people, I, I remember I did a prospectus for investors that I was going to give this, this house that I was going to zone to commercial, the house we bought for the office. I'll never forget. I said, I said best case scenario, um, we get this thing rezoned. I bought it for 410. We sell it for like 650, 680. Um, worst case scenario, we get inflationary increases. And that's it. So 2% each year, and, and we still make money. And we can't get a rezone, and we still make money. I didn't realize that worst case scenario was that prices would drop by 20%. Like that just wasn't in my, my realm of reality, that yeah. that was worst case scenario. And now I know that worst case scenario, you know, you and my, you and yours and my decisions, um, was that I am an entrepreneur. Like I, I, I live an entrepreneurial lifestyle and things like that, which means that um, you don't know when you're going to get paid. And it's, it's something you're a business owner and you always got to be prepared that if for some reason the market turned and I had to, um, you know, and there's some backing that you need to give to the company that comes out of your own pocket. And how do you ensure that you're positioned for that? So if I didn't ever didn't work or didn't have a job because I'm horribly unemployable, um, you know, <laughs> whereas you have a marketing degree, communications or a communications degree, masters of communication, um, you can go out and get another job myself. Pff, who's going to hire me? Like, well, and, that, and that's a lot of, and, and you know, you're speaking to a lot of, of realtors as well, right? I mean, like, 
your, you as a business owner in real yeah. estate, every person watching is a business owner in real estate is the exact yeah. same position. If you haven't figured that out and haven't, haven't planned your business so that, oh, you think things are bad now? Um, what about Detroit? Like when, when it went down, I mean, they were, houses were selling for, you know, less than the commissions that were being paid on them. They were bulldozing entire communities. And Las Vegas. That's right. During I, the recession. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I mean, people went from selling three, 400 homes a year in some of these big complexes down to selling nothing where they just, they just, everything went bankrupt and stuff. And what are you doing to insulate yourself? Now you don't have to say, oh gosh, like what if I make zero for the next two no, years? Of course. You have to be sure you adapt and you pivot and you can move. Um, towards where the opportunities are and you got to be prepared to work one well, and looking and looking at the market today so let's kind of let's um because you, you have some you have some great thoughts on where the market is and kind of and where it's going but um, a segue that still speaks to what we're talking about in terms of insulating yourself is there you know two years ago everyone wanted more listings right right like there's always this little oh, bit, yeah there's this little List bit of a jealousy yep. about wanting to be a listing agent you know I typically work with buyers and I really want more listings and then suddenly this market switches a little bit and now there are more listings and there's a lot of realtors that never carry 10 listings, but now they can and it's kind of cool because yeah. they never really were able to before, but we have a lot of um, realtors, not on our company, there's 9,000 listings. There's a lot of people who have taken on more listings than they can realistically handle and they're in the situation where, you know, the, the next listing that they're taking, you know, they don't have the $750, so, you know, maybe... The first eight they took had professional photography, but this one it's, you know, it's not going to. And, and you know, the last listing is, you know, the last reflection of the job that you did, but you don't have the money. And it's a little bit of a spiral in terms of how are you handling the money you have and the business you have in this market. And the listing thing is becoming a little bit of um, a monkey for quite a few people. Yeah, yeah, and, and in terms of sustaining it, but I'm, I'm telling you now that, um, grab every listing you can like I just and I, and I mean that sincerely um, provided you know price is realistic but you have to master a few different things number one you have to have difficult conversations like does this person actually have a reason they want to sell or are they just trying to test the market if that's the case then don't worry about it but if they do do a motivation to sell then they will eventually come down to a price that's reasonable and although it costs you seven hundred fifty dollars um, of, you know, you might pick up a client off it. Maybe you don't, um, but eventually that house will sell. But now you've met some people that you can add to your database and you don't know when the market is going to turn. So if you, if you're having trouble paying for the cost of the listings, find somebody to partner with that does have the cash and to, to hold on to it. So it's like all of a sudden you say to someone, Hey, listen, let me bring you in. I'm going to give you 40% of the commission or anything else you front the 750 and we'll make this thing work or um and I'll, I'll get you the exposure on it or you we split it 50 50. you can split it split it 60 40 but you retain the relationship with the client um as a result of it maybe so you only creative. take yeah maybe you only take you know 30 percent of the listing commission but now you still have the client you're still getting the sign calls somebody else fronts the money for you because there's yeah. still lots of people that have cash out there um they're willing to to lend the money but the more listings that you have, the more control of the inventory you are, the more relationships you have, and it's a better opportunity. Before, if someone said, I used to carry two listings at a time, and now they can carry 12 listings at a time, well, that's 12 more, 10 more people that you're working with. So what are you doing to ensure that you preserve those relationships and you're just out there getting more and more clients? It's like you might only be taking 
um, 50% of the commission, but you have triple the listings. Right. So you're actually further ahead at the end of the day. Right. Um, but, and I guess one of the things, you know, you can kind of speak to is you just said you're further ahead at the end of the day, but there's a little bit of uncertainty right now as to when the end of the day is. Right. So there's this, call it this gap right now where people are sitting and they're a bit concerned and they're waiting and, you know, they have 10 clients who think, you know, this isn't working and my home's been on the market forever and, you know, the contracts are going to come up and I'm not going to relist with you because, so I'm going to relist with someone else. And then you're thinking like, oh my goodness, if you, you're going to relist with somebody else and you, if you do that, it probably means that you are going to have a price reduction and then that client's just going to think that I was a bad agent because yeah. I didn't. So these are all the conversations going on in people's heads right now. So what would your advice be on, I guess, you know, kind of the name of this, this, this section, what is your advice on weathering the storm that people are in right now to yeah. get through to the end of the day? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, no one knows when the end of the day is coming. No. So you now need to adjust your life and your business to the new reality. Um, just right away. Um, I, I'm going to say that. So you need to um, look at your resources. Are they maximized? Um, what are you spending money on marketing? Is it actually paying off? Is it actually getting the returns that you want? Um, I look at, uh, we just did some great interviews with some agents that are, uh, we're talking about the resources that CIR has. If you ever have an opportunity to use the free tools from the contest to my marketing to, you know, um, get involved in everything that the brokerage offers and stuff, now's the time because you got to ask yourself um, whether or not your, um, the dollars that you're investing in the graphic design things are worth it when we have the concierge level that you can you know, go ahead and tap into. So make sure that your resources are maximized. How do you use the brokerage for absolutely everything that they offer to prevent that? I'll never forget my team. It's like, gosh, if I had the office, um, office space, which I didn't need, but if I had the resources that CIR had, I bet you my expenses would have been $15,000 a month versus $35,000 a month. I'll never forget that moment when I came over to CIR of just being like, holy crap, literally 20 grand a month I would have saved. And that was, that was back in, you know, 08. Um, and so that was a long time ago and we've like quintupled the amount of resources that we provide now. And that's, this isn't intended to be a brokerage plug, but it's intended to look around you and figure out what do you have now that you can better utilize in terms of resources? You need to um, adjust your personal spending. We talked about that. Um, but the other thing is, is that you need to um, ensure that you look at the opportunity. So you use the example of a listing comes up and this, this is part of the game. A, a seller is upset with you because their list isn't selling, so they go and list with somebody else. Well, what you need to do is find that other person who has already been upset with their agent, who expired, who is going to list with somebody else, and that becomes you. And, and that moment um, allows you to be the person that is the voice of reason, now get the price reduction, and now it's gonna cost you another $750, but now you're into the two listings for $1,500, you're the one that finally sells it, you get your $8,000, you know, your margin is $6,500, and at the end of the day, you're like, okay, now, before, my margin would have been um, you know, you know, seven, you know, 7,250, now it's 6,500, but I've adapted my lifestyle accordingly. And you have to go out there and you have to work harder. Right. You have to, you have to work harder on things that you can control. Um, we had a great interview, um, with, with agents who are mastering the telephone. And what's so great about that is you watch these two agents and they are just, um, let's say I'm Max Nismoff and, and Cass Karen, um, 
talking to them was such a cool experience because here's something that's absolutely in your control. You can pick up the phone any day of the week and you can spend eight hours a day. I mean, if it came down to it and my family's livelihood was on the line, my financial livelihood was on the line, things like that, and I need something to weather the storm, I'm going A to Z in the phone book. Literally, the white pages get my telelisting subscription, whatever it is, and I'm calling people. And I'm calling people and I'm saying, hey, you know, we got a ton of information about the market in your community. Um, have you had any questions about the market? How are you, are you happy with where you're living right now? We'd love to uh, help you out or maybe you know somebody else that would be interested in that information. And I'd start from A and go to Z, but I'd make it work. And that's yeah. free. It, it's basically, sorry, it's going to cost you $295 a year for your telelisting subscription. But it's like, here's something that's totally. And that's, that's kind of your do, lock, do not call list for people. Yeah, but it's just like, that that's in my control. So what is in your control? I'm sitting in open houses two per weekend. I'm, during the week, I'm calling. I'm door knocking. Like I'm doing absolutely everything. I'm investing money on my website. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people. I'm networking as much as I can. And I'm creating my own reality. And whereas before, I might have only needed to you know, talk to five people a day in a busy market, now I need to talk to 20 people a day. And that's my commitment. And that's my commitment to myself. And the listing inventory needs to be higher. But um, you, know, you can make it work. You've got you to yeah. work harder. And, and that's it. But once you control your expenses, then you're used to the reality. I'll tell you what happens is that just, I had a dream in 2008 and Lehman Brothers had just gone bankrupt and a bunch of other stuff. And I was, I'll never forget this dream. And it was, it was Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. And I'm sitting in a room with them. And I just said, what is the number one piece of advice you can give me right now? And they just said, Lindsay, preserve your cash. That was a dream. Yeah. And, and it was just, well, not that profound, but yeah, it's like, but it, for, for, for the people, it's like preserve your cash because the opportunity is now. And I was just like, what do you mean? But it's like now he who or she who um, preserve their cash in this marketplace can go out there and you will take more listings than you can ever imagine because you have a little bit of money to invest in it. It's like you can go out there and you can um, get advertising for cheaper than you've ever got it before. You know, you can do all these types of things because yeah. you have the cash. You can buy real estate for cheaper. One of our agents brought me in the office the other day and showed me this price reduction she got in this house. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, if you had cash, you're going to flip that thing in six months for X amount of dollars. But people didn't position themselves. So let that be a lesson today where you say this recession is coming again and the boom is coming again. Transmountain pipeline gets done. You know the, the the mortgage rules settle out. Sellers' expectations come in. Um, you know we we're, we're diversifying Calgary's economy a little bit. Um, the investment comes back and there's already talk about it. Um, and this this is hands down. We we live in a great place. Yeah, it's there's just, nothing it's, epically bad that's no. happening. That this will always be a great place in the world to live. You know we see the we see the bumper stickers and we we joke about them, but it says you know please God um, give me another oil boom because I promised not to piss it away this time. And, and that's the same thing with insert real estate boom or stuff yeah, like that. Absolutely. And it's like when you get that cash, leave your lifestyle the same way it is, now smart money positions itself and you're laughing for the future. But as long as you keep in your mind, the market might drop by 30%, am I positioned to weather that storm? Mm -hmm. from, a, from a cash perspective, I like what you said about about utilizing resources that are available to you because there are, we see a lot of realtors come from other brokerages, realtors, you know, 
that we just sit down with after they've been brand new in the business for a few months and you know they say well you know what have you been doing well I had this graphic designer and I created this listing presentation oh and and you, and you just think you know that's not going to make you money right now right no. like use this it's free spend your time and you know we had another interview recently with somebody and we said you know what did you spend your money on your in your first year to be successful and he's like gas yeah because i needed to meet people i need to have real estate conversations and i need to build my database and focusing on things like that Brilliant. even in recessionary times right now if you have been in the business for five or six years it's don't spend your money and your time doing these things that what you learned in your business your clients don't care that you're doing your own in-house marketing and that you have a printer they no. care that you're getting your home sold so use the resources that you have and try and not reinvent the wheel because this is not the time for it and even during the good times, that's probably still not the time for it because that's not what people care about. Oh my gosh! And I've I've always said that in real estate as well, um, that the benefit of real estate is not that um, you know you can make a lot of money and a ton of money being a great realtor, but there's so much power in also meeting the network that you have and those opportunities. And if you have some cash, um, you know, in my own personal situation, suddenly Ray Stater approaches me and says, "Lindsay, I'm, I'm thinking of selling my shares. Um, would you be interested?" And if I was destitute at that time. Well, and if you had chosen to drive the $100,000 car and live in the $1.5 oh million dollar house. I would have never done it. You would have never done it because all of your cash would have been. And it's scary what you can qualify for or what you could qualify for. I mean, scary. I'll never forget even the, even the um, they do the mortgage rules comparison. You used to be able to on $100,000 income afford a $750,000 house. And it's, but now you can only, um, you know, afford 550, and it's like vote against the mortgage rules. Are you freaking kidding me? Now I, I agree that the mortgage rules changes should have been dripped out over a longer period of time. There should have been a more subtle change because we got, you know, the government got us in this issue in the first place. And unfortunately, um, you know, market specifically. That's right. And, and we got a double whammy of oil prices, of you know, course. things like that. Yeah. But the bottom line is, there's no reason someone that only makes 100 grand should be buying a 750,000 dollar house. No. Like you freaking kidding me? Like that's insanity. Like that's absolutely insane. That's like a mansion to me. Like, and I, I just, I, I just look oh, yeah. and it's, okay. it's insane. And, and it's not a mansion, obviously. I mean, a million bucks is not anywhere what it used to be. Um, no, but, but still, on if it, on a hundred thousand dollar income, you know, the example that you said with that number, I wouldn't myself if that was all the money that I had coming in personally, I would never even buy a five. Like even the new, even the new ones, it's still kind of like, that's that's kind of tough, right? So yeah, like you should be in like a three hundred thousand dollar townhouse with your two kids like I just uh, I anyways I'm not here to tell people where they should you know be living or what they should spend their money on no but but, but it's a the overall from, concept from a fiscal responsibility right. standpoint as a business owner specifically right. as a business owner that might have to deal with times like this I think that's, that's right that's right that's so what you, you're yeah you got to look and you got to always be prepared so, yeah anyways. okay no that makes sense so um, let's talk about some very specific specific stuff right now advice to realtors who need to sell listings because that is the buzz in the office right now is what do I do to differentiate myself to get this stuff sold to have the price reductions that I need to have yeah um, so what's the, working yeah so obviously you got to make sure you have the staples um, you got to make sure the house is decluttered and, and looks good inside otherwise you're just if you don't have the the um, the gumption to tell your clients the truth that their house is too cluttered and you don't have the expertise you can hire a stager but some basic common sense of just like Make sure the house looks open, uncluttered. You can Google three articles online, and you are in a position to at least provide some um, some good some good advice. 
can I mention one thing? We had a real estate event a few years ago, and we had a realtor on a panel who mentioned exactly what you were just talking about in terms of the importance of. And somebody said, "Well, but how do you tell how do you tell your client that their art isn't nice? How do you tell them that that bed sheet has to go right? Like these are people's personal opinions. And there's a lot of realtors who are just like I don't feel comfortable doing it." And I loved her answer because she said, I am getting paid an insane amount of money to give you hard advice. Yeah. Like if my job was easy and I couldn't have these conversations with you and I couldn't do what was needed to get the job done, I shouldn't be making the money that I'm doing. It's my job to know how to have those critical conversations with you. And I was like, that is so powerful. Perfect. I love that. So you have it where you got to get the house looking its best. Um, whether you're on a budget and you hire a stager or not, or you say, you know what, I'm just going to do my best because I've done my homework. If you don't have the budget to hire the stager, you need to do the research. You need to figure out, you need to become the stager and the expert. And literally, I'm not saying like nothing, like uh, stagers are amazing, so you need to do it. I mean, they're amazing. I really think everyone should have a staging consultation. Um, but let's say you're not, you're not in a position to afford it for your client, you need to do the research and bring in the checklist and help them get that organized. Um, then you got to make sure you have the great photography, not an option, um, professional photos, and make sure you have great comments written that set it apart. How are you going to use it? Well, now you're at you know $250 because you've read the articles, you gave them advice yourself, so you're still breaking the bank. And then you go to work. And what I mean by going to work is you need to talk to every, every realtor that sold something in that area recently, everyone that has a list in that area. You need to make sure that they understand the value proposition of your listing. Now, I know they get a ton of information on that, but you need to make sure that they give you the feedback because you're communicating that back to your client. And now your client is being educated because the market is going to set the price. You have it looking its best, and you've done everything you can from promoting this. It's on the MLS. It's setting itself apart. It looks great among the listing. You know, now we have ad works and things like that. You've promoted the CIR community. You've sat open houses there things like that, you've done this stuff, now it's a matter of keeping the seller educated. And a big part of this becomes you got to get price reductions if it's not selling. Or if it's not, never going to sell because the client is just there. You, they have to be educated from the standpoint. It's like, listen, rent this out. Rent this out. Like, keep it for a little while, you know, and, and give them honest advice. Yeah. But you get, uh, you talk to as many people about it to get as much feedback on it as possible. And now you're educating your client and working with them to get their expectations back in line. Um, so, so prep the home, get as much, many people talking about it as possible, giving you feedback on it, yeah. get exp and, 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 then, and share that feedback with your client, and then you adjust. It's just review, adjust, review, adjust. That's all it is. That's so, I love, I, you know, and, you know, the price reduction isn't the, isn't the end game. That's not the no, be all end all no. of anything. But you know, there you have so many realtors in the office being like, you know, my clients just like, you know, this home will net, this home will never sell. You know, th there's nothing we can do to make this home sell. It's like, if your home was a dollar, yeah, your home would sell. Totally. Right. So to say the market sets the pricing and just being able to have extremely accurate conversations about those feedback loops, it's, it's one hundred. If you've did, you've done everything you can, it's one hundred percent about price, and you need to be able to communicate that. Yeah, so you've, and you, you've taken your ads out, you've done it, you have a, a certain blitz of marketing that you do, maybe you did a, a coming soon open house and a coming soon blitz to certain things, you take some ad out, so now your spend is up to you know, $500 for your listing of maybe 700 but now it's like, okay, you've done what you can, the market at large has seen your listing, it's in a point that they've seen it, it's looking its best and things like that, the only thing that's left is price. Yeah. It's like there's the four P's of marketing, price, product, promotion, 
um, and place. You can't affect place. Um, you can affect price. You can affect promotion. You can, and you, you can, you know, if your client needs to modify the product a bit in terms of staging, you can do that. The rest is just the price. And, but most people miss all the other ones. They, they, they don't do the promotion to start, things like that. But once you've sort of, your hands are clean in terms of what you've done, because you can't, if they say, I want a billboard for my house, I want it in Avenue Magazine, I want it front page here, that's okay. Well, now I need a retainer up front yeah. um, of $1,500 minimum. Um, or you want to do $15,000 in advertising, maybe this is like a super high-end home, retainer up front um, of the money, and we'll put in these magazines, or your listing fee is you know, 30 and three now. It's not seven and three, it's 30 and three. So I get an extra $23,000 in marketing on that. And are you prepared to you know, invest that cost up front, or does the client have skin in the game? Right. And that's all on the table. I just, someone on our Facebook feed the other day that's was saying, hey, I took a, a retainer in advance. They want to be unrealistic, they know it's overpriced, but we want to try it. Get a retainer for your marketing. You don't need to pay for that. Right. That's good. That's good advice. So, the good news. I feel like this is this has been a little um, kind of you know worst case scenario looking at what we've been doing for the past year. But the good news is in the last couple of weeks, and it's that's really been as recent as it as it has been. But it does seem just like all real estate cycles are that things are starting to move a little bit. There is a bit more optimism. Um, Economically, when you look at you know job creation and immigration that's coming in, and you know businesses are you know there's we have a lot of friends in oil and gas who you know things are obviously not back to where they could possibly be, um, but you will occasionally post something about this project hiring here and you know we need a bunch of construction workers so yep. slowly but surely, um, other than you know the real estate article other than the real estate section of the newspapers which are still you know real estate is where it is. All the other economic articles seem very positive. Totally. Alberta, Alberta families still have the highest GDP out of any families in the country. Yep. So stuff is happening. So preparing for so I guess preparing for that as an agent, um, your thoughts on that? You mentioned a little bit, but what do you think people can be doing today? And in general, based off all the stuff you're reading about our economy, where do you see things going in the next year? Well, as the optimism increases around um, you know Keystone. Uh, getting finished, and we can actually move more oil from our marketplace. So that's that's a huge thing right now. And even on the optimism between that and trans, um, the the Trans Mountain pipeline, um, oil companies are already talking about reinvestment because the price of oil has come back to a a level now that we um, are happy with. Well, but I guess that's just another thing. I mean, you know, oil just isn't forty nine dollars anymore. That's right. That's right. right? So like right, that's there, but, right there, something right But the investment hasn't come back, so the, the jobs aren't created yet. But as this comes back. We see it where um, then the job creation comes back and people are working, we'll see income goes up and we'll get that in migration and obviously the demand for houses. So that's basically coming and both pipelines are not just gonna be shut down um, forever. I just, I just don't forecast that happening. Um, it's been a long road, but that's happening. So um, in terms of um, you know, where it's gonna go and in terms of positioning yourself for that, um, it's meet as many people as possible. You gotta gain the trust of as many people as possible. And that is, you know, your friends and your friends' friends and your friends' professional network and your professional network. You got to expand this out, and that's why touching as many clients as possible. Some of them, the listings will get—they won't sell. They'd be disappointed in you. They might not trust you as a realtor anymore, and that's okay. But that's going to be the exception, not the rule. Um, whereas you're very upfront with people, you're working your butt off, you're very honest with people, you have the gumption to tell them the honest truth. Then you'll decide whether this listing's a fit or not, whether it should stay on the market or not. Um, but you meet this many people that when all of a sudden the market upticks, 
you're going to be swimming it. Like you will be, it's going to be insanity about how fast the deals come in um, for you. And, and that is just a, um, a huge opportunity right now to position yourself. And if you look at it that way, make sure that your expenses are in a sustainable place um, and you are taking, um, you know, I, I got to share these, these three things. Um, because I did this short little video on it, but I just have to say it here, is that you need three things in order to be able to understand the concepts and, and have the mental gumption and the mental fortitude to, to persevere here. And one is you need an internal locus of control, a very strong internal locus of control, and that is that you understand you're responsible for it. If you're not getting deals right now, did you spend eight hours yesterday on the phones, um, door knocking? Well, if you didn't, you're not doing it. Like, it's like, yeah, yeah. You're not that committed to it. And I don't mean to put anybody down, but I'm just saying that it's like, you can go out there and you can make your own reality happen if you really want to do it. Um, so do you have the internal locus control knowing that you are the one who's responsible for how you respond to the stimulus in your life? Family members get sick, cancer's avoidable, you know, things like that. But it's like, how are you responding to these situations? You get a choice. Um, I think you meant to say just in case. I think you meant to say things like cancer are unavoidable. Unavoidable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, sorry, just, sorry. Um, yeah, I felt I, like I should. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can, you watch that. You. If you watch that, and I didn't correct <laughs> it, you, I think it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cancer. You know, these things like cancer are unavoidable, but how you choose to respond to it. Yes. The second thing is that so you have an internal strong internal locus control. You're responsible. Second thing is you need a bias towards action. You need to be focused on getting out there and doing the activities. That's critical. You have to take action, and and action. I'm going to bias towards action will lead to the results. Um, and then the third thing is you have to have a sense of optimism. You have to have a sense of trust in yourself. And my favorite saying is that a bird never fears the branch breaking because it trusts its wings. And you need to be that bird that has that optimism. And in any marketplace, you'll adapt, you'll adjust. But if you're tracking your financials, if you're, if you're watching your numbers very closely, you'll know very quickly when you need to pivot. If you do look at your financials once a year at tax time, you're a year behind in making decisions. Um, so you need to be able to look, uh, you know, adapt, say this month we've had, you know, the first quarter of the year was not what we expected. We adapt, we adjust, we take new action, and we're off to the races. On that note, obviously, you know, we are in the business of real estate brokerages, not yeah. real estate individual businesses. And just like there are, you know, we've seen some realtors exit the business um, always, you know, even in good markets, real, realtors exit the business because it's just not working. Something in their business financially wasn't working. Um, they didn't have the clients coming in. They couldn't keep the lights on. In the past couple of years, we've seen some pretty high-profile brokerages and lots of lower-profile brokerages that people don't even know about. Just a few agents um, close their doors. Yep. And this is, it's shocking to a lot of people. And obviously, running a large brokerage, you know, we watch that and our fingers are consistently on the pulses of there are, you know, currently 710 realtors that look to us to keep that boat floating. And that's a really big deal. Yeah. So what does it take, in your opinion, um, for to, I, I guess, for brokerages to stay in business? Why do you think some aren't staying in business? Yeah. It's, it's weird to even talk about because it's just it's it's hard to think about. I think of some of those names and the people that left, and it's just it's, it's that's it's sensitive. Yeah, yeah, it's two things, um, and and I, I'm sure I could think of more if I, I spent more time or you know did some kind of thesis on it. But um, uh, two things, in my opinion, uh, number one, you got to be watching your numbers, and and I, I just I just said that, um, but you got to know where you stand financially, 
And once you know that, and you're very real with yourself on that, then you know that, I mean, as a realtor, it's like, well, we need to rent out our basement to somebody. We need to rent a room out. We need to do, you know, like, we need to sell our vacation home or sell the boat that we have, you know, whatever else. It's like, this is not real because, or, you know, what's happening because you're watching your numbers so closely. And from a broker standpoint, they need to get leaner on staff, leaner on overhead, rent out offices to mortgage brokers and lawyers and things like that to, to increase cash flow. And you need to um, make sure that you're, you're positioning yourself well. And then, um, and then you can adapt. And that's the second thing is that you know your numbers extremely well and then you adapt. And once you adapt, then it's like nothing will, nothing can affect you. It's like you're, you're watching numbers all the time so you can adjust your business operations accordingly and you're watching the trends in the business. We've seen so many times that people didn't watch what was happening in terms of technology and um, you know, online business and, and the direction the stuff was going, the, the people moving out of offices. We saw a, a huge brokerage close because their office overhead was way too high. I mean, they had almost 18,000 square feet serving 120 realtors. And I mean, as comparison, we probably have you know, 10,000 square feet serving, um, a little bit more than that, but um, you know, serving 710 realtors, it's like we're 12,000 square feet. And, and you, you look at the difference in the economics of that and you figure out really closely, but they just thought, ah, oh, this is what realtors want. And now people can do business from their phones and, and, there, and, there, and there was a time. Absolutely. That people absolutely, absolutely. that absolutely did, did want that. We used to have two receptionists at, um, at three of our offices. Two receptionists, because the phone calls for showings were insane. Insert showing time, insert texting, insert cell phone. People putting their own cell phones on them. It's like our phones are dead. Like they're just not what they used to be. They're not all dead, but I mean, it's just, it's a different game. People go directly cell to cell now, right? Like yep. realtors used to advertise um, the office phone number and now real realtors advertise their own cell numbers. And if you're in touch with your agents and you're listening to how their business is running and you can provide them the services that they need, you'll never go to business. If you watch your numbers and you adapt to the needs of your consumer, which, you know, for realtors, obviously the clients, but for us, our realtors, you'll be in business forever. That's great. Yeah. Um, in, in closing, let's kind of wrap this up. Some parting advice to the people watching right now for when they, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little bit specific about, specific about this. People are going to finish this interview. Um, they're going to carry on with their day. And then tomorrow morning, there's a, their alarm is going to go off. They're going to wake up. Yeah. If you had to give advice that was, when you wake up tomorrow, the course of action that you should be taking in your day based off of this marketplace and how that time should be divided up, that's not on this question list, so I'm making you think a little bit, but what would your suggestion for that be? Because I think a lot of people literally are like, I don't know what to do next. Just give yeah. me a task. Okay, so tomorrow morning, you wake up, you make sure you have a good set of headphones, um, go on to... Apple or YouTube and play some classical list, music list, whatever, instrumental. You go to a coffee shop, get out of the house, put it in, and for two hours, I want you to spend the first hour being real with your financials. Um, figuring out, look at your bank statements, figuring out how much you spend, jot it down on a pad of paper about how much you're spending each and every month. Um, on your business, your home, everything. Um, your second step is that you're going to spend the next hour figuring out what you can control, which activities can you do if you have no money, anything else, what can you do in your business right now to start generating activities, start generating business? In that two hours, you're going to have, uh, know exactly what you need to do for the next two hours, which is going to be the business generation. And, and that evening and the next day, you can start trimming your expenses, 
but you're going to look at the next two hours after that, and from that, for five days a week, every single day, you're gonna spend minimum of two hours focusing on generating business. And I don't care what it is. If your online leads aren't performing the way they used to perform, or if you haven't been in touch with your database, you're gonna do that. And if you run out of people in your database because you only have 25 people to call, then it's like, great, now you move on to you know, meeting people in your community and you're knocking on doors and you're you know, going for coffee with people and you're visiting builders and you're doing things that you know, you're, you're meeting people and you're generating business. And I just can't speak enough to the you know, three key real estate habits of number one, generating business every single day, two to four hours, and just focusing on tasks that you can do. You got your open houses booked, you're doing calls to your, the people you know, and heaven forbid, if things are that dire, you're knocking on bloody doors. Like you really are. And you're, you're, you're getting in touch with people. And, and, and that's, that's basically it. So it's like you, you focus on lead generation, two to four hours each day. You have some skill development. You, you plug in a very motivational book. You attend a course. And the, the third one, or actually the second one, the third one is skill development. The, third, the second one is you track your business every single week. You gotta track your results, your financials, and figure out what actually is working, what's not working, and you reinvest the stuff that is working, and you adapt and adjust the stuff that's not working. You know, one of the things that I can speak to too, because from a my role at doing the marketing at CIR is marketing is it's 100% about getting business, retaining, getting new business, and keeping your customers happy. And and that I mean, you know, marketing really is is the is everything. And I think of what's the easiest for me and what's the hardest for me. And the easiest is to always throw money at a problem. Yeah. Always, right? I mean, you know, you, we could say, you know, we have an event coming up and we need to make sure that all of our realtors are, you know, are there. Or, and, you know, it could be, okay, well, I'm going to take out $1,000 worth of Facebook ads and I'm just going to, you know, kind of make sure that they all see these and I'm going to press this button and I'm going to hire a graphic designer and I'm going to get this graphic designer to make this ad and I'm going to press these two buttons and voila. But really, if you don't have that, it's, I'm going to print out a list of the realtors in our company that need to come to this event. And I'm going to write down all of their phone numbers. And for the next three days, I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call them. Yep. And sometimes when you don't have hordes of cash, and I love the three things that you talked about, because the three things you talked about don't cost any money for yep. anybody to do. And they're probably also the most effective. Because I look at, you know, my, my example that I'm trying to, you know, how I would see this is, you know, I can do that, which actually doesn't put me in touch with anybody. Um, people will see it, but I'm not developing any relationships. And I'm kind of throwing all this money at this problem, and hopefully a couple people will grasp at straws, versus if I took the three days it would take to call all of those people, I'd have a voice-to-voice -voice conversation where I'm connecting to you personally, I'm making notes in my database about it, and I'm not spending any money on anything, but it's all time, and it's just repetitive action. And your examples, I think, are so powerful because I know even in my job, it is the repetitive, harder actions that typically pay off the best. And in this market, I mean, it's a great opportunity to go back to the basics and just set yourself up that way. Yeah. And it works. Yeah, it really is. And you know, there's the joke of the posters and stuff, rising grind. And it's like, it, it's a grind. I get it. Like, it's a grind. But we can't just keel over and die. You've got to be the person that steps up and says, all right, if it is to be, it's up to me. I gotta make this, I gotta make it work, and I gotta start adapting, and, and that's it. And you gotta get out there and do something. You gotta have that bias towards action. Awesome, well thank you, thank you for this. Hey, my pleasure. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed this. I think it's, you have, you have such a cool story, and you have so much 
um, experience as an agent that we don't often get to showcase, but also the business sense in which you run the brokerage. I know that everybody uh, respects and they all say nice things about you behind your back. Uh, so, <laughs> so we thought we'd put you on a couch and ask you some questions. So thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. And uh, that's it. Have a great day. This will also, this interview will also be on our Agent Pursuit podcast. So if you know of somebody that could benefit from this and likes to listen while they're running or while they're driving, uh, you can download um, the podcast and just listen to the audio track as well, as well as many of the interviews that we do. So check that out if you enjoyed this. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Linz. Thanks, guys.